0: We're back, back for another pod, back before the Sooners head to Tulsa this weekend, and we're back with Todd Lisenby. Sell our crowds, Todd Lisenby, for the sixth episode of the Letterman Jacket Podcast. Todd, your favorite number six of all time, who would it
1: be? Baker Mayfield. Hmm, that's a good one. Uh, Maybe Mark Martin when he drove the Viagra car back in the day. on the NASCAR. uh, NASCAR I wouldn't have
0: thought. My mind would not have gone there. It's easy. Bill Russell is a good starting point. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, I'm a Celtics fan, so obviously Bill Russell. Dr. J was a six, wasn't he? He
0: was. He was. Yeah. Uh, quarterback's born six. I'm trying to think. It's a good number.
1: Hmm. I mean, Mayfield's a six. I can't think of any other ones off the top of my head. I'm sure. I'm sure people are going to, in the comments, hopefully they leave a bunch of comments and they tell us how stupid we are.
0: Yeah, Mark Sanchez, Jets. That's where my mind went.
1: Well, that's—I mean—that's probably not a good six. Although right now the Jets might take Mark Sanchez at quarterback. I think
0: they absolutely would because uh, I don't know Zach Wilson. Maybe if he wears number six, things will look a bit different. But mm, I don't know. I don't know. Well, Todd, we're not here to talk about the Jets. We could talk about the Jets. What we're really here to talk about is Oklahoma. Oklahoma mm-hmm. football. Sooners head to Tulsa, two and zero. 26 point favorites against the Golden Hurricane this weekend. First sellout crowd at no, you know, no overlap. I see see what you did there. I see what you did there. Uh, Well, they've got a sellout there. 30,000 people supposed to be at Chapman Stadium. First time since 2009, they've sold that place out. So it's a big deal for Tulsa. I spoke with Rick Dixon, the AD, yesterday and kind of got a sense of just what all this means. They feel like it's a culmination a bit of you know if if they've been down the last few years this this to them feels like uh, a step on their their road back but what does this weekend mean for the Sooners and what do we need to learn about them after you know we've seen two games we've seen Arkansas State and SMU what are you looking for this weekend what do we need to learn still about these Sooners
1: well how about a little irony for you Eli Uh, you mentioned the number six this is the sixth episode of the Letterman Jacket Game number one, OU is a 36-point favorite against Arkansas State. Game number two, a 16-point favorite against SMU, and now a 26-point favorite against Tulsa. Um, Look, I think it's one of those that it it should go go a certain way, and I don't see any reason why it doesn't go that way, and I don't think that's necessarily a shot at Tulsa. I think Kevin Wilson's going to do a good job there. I think they've already probably looked – you know, at times a little more capable early on than people thought. Um, You know, didn't just get absolutely boat raced by Washington, which is an incredibly tough road test. And let's be honest, for Tulsa, you know, a bowl game is great, but hosting Oklahoma in your stadium is something that doesn't happen. Like it's a a once-in-a-generation type thing now for that school. So I think there's going to be a lot for them to play for in this game. Always it's a talking point when – whether Oklahoma or Oklahoma state plays Tulsa, you've got a lot of kids who felt like maybe they got overlooked and didn't get recruited by Oklahoma. Um, So, you know, that always plays in, but it shouldn't be too tough of a test for Oklahoma. I I think they're going to be better across the board uh, at every position than Tulsa. It's just a matter of, do we see that play out on the field, right? Do we see that talent level win out or do we see guys not play up to their potential? in a game where you may be looking ahead towards conference play. So um, I think the line's about right, to be honest with you. I could see this game being Oklahoma winning by 40. I could also see it being Tulsa getting like a backdoor cover and it's a three-touchdown game or something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of weeks ago before the Arkansas State game, we talked about this non-conference run, with all due respect to all three opponents, but being about Oklahoma versus Oklahoma. And in some right. senses, they passed tests to this point. I mean, it's early – and we'll get to the defense, but like the, the defense has passed some early tests. They've shown us a bit of what's different about them this year, and, and given some promising signs. Uh, other, you know, Andrell Anthony has proven early on he's going to be able to factor into this uh, aerial attack, no problem. But there's still questions, and that's where you know, maybe not, maybe the the outcome this weekend we can predict today, uh, whether it's you know OU covering that spread and then some, or if it's closer than we think. I think we'd be surprised if we were here in a week talking about an OU loss. That's nothing on Tulsa, but OU is expected to go there and take care of business. But within that, there's the things that you'd still like to see. We'll start with the offensive line. Talked to McCabe Matoy or Malta Rouse this week, and both of them spoke about what they kind of termed as as a wake up call kind of performance against uh, SMU. They weren't the offensive line, I don't think, struggled it's not like Dylan Gabriel was on his back all day, but they had some penalties. They were sloppy at times. They didn't, um, they, their goal was to get five yards per carry. They didn't hit that. And I think they were pretty self-critical and the, the message coming presumably from Bill Bedenboe and then through these guys was they've got, you know, against Arkansas State, they've got the strength, the talent, the size to just bully a team and not have their technique be sound and play a bit sloppy. I think they tried it again against SMU and learned their lesson. So that's one place I'll look this week and say for a group of veteran guys that have talked, they were, term remorse wouldn't be it, but they all came into this week with their heads a bit down, but also about how much better they've got to be. Let's see if they can do that because this is their last Mm -hmm. shot before they get into Big 12 play to to show something. And I know you noted the line play in in kind of our rapid reaction Saturday night, but I think that's a place in a game where if we want to say going in, you have a sense of what the outcome might be. That's still somewhere I, I think we need to see something.
1: Well, I mean, I, look, you said it against Arkansas State. The technique didn't have to be good because physically they overmatched. Uh, what is Arkansas State now? The Red Wolves, is that right? The Red uh, Wolves Arkansas State.
0: Hundred twenty to three through two games.
1: That's not good. That's Butch not Jones good. is. Uh, yeah, that's not a good start for him, but the same is going to be true against Tulsa. Maybe not quite as noticeable. They're going to be physically better than Tulsa, but they are going to be physically better. They're going to have more depth up front. And you're right. It is going to, it is going to take the trained eye watching back film to know just what kind of technique they played with and how well they did. Um, but at the same time, if they do play with technique, if they do play nasty, which they've talked about, I think this is a team that they could dominate on the ground, uh, which is, I'm sure we'll talk about as well. We'll get to another discussion of the running back position, but I, I do think they're going to try to show early on that they can dominate the line of scrimmage. And quite honestly, Eli, that's, that's something that's so important for a, a team like Oklahoma, a program like Oklahoma that plans on playing for national championships, is every team, you're going to get their best, right? You're a big name on their schedule. And if you're going to get their best, it's very important that early on in the game you come out and physically show them that their best is not going to be good enough, right? And we'll see if Oklahoma does that on Saturday. If they do, it should be a pretty straightforward win.
0: Exhibit A of why line play matters, that Alabama-Texas game. Yeah, Not many years you would have seen a Big 12 or a Texas line play overmatch Alabama, but that was more than just Quinn Ewers. That was line play where you saw Texas was a cut above, at least last weekend. Alabama and, and for Oklahoma you look at the line last weekend Savion Bird gave up the lone sack and, and he came right out and Troy Everett the App State transfer came in be curious to see what they do there this week because there's shortcomings so to speak and for both guys Savion Bird clearly all that talent but the other night was enough to get him pulled and and we're gonna see if he gets the start Troy Everett I think was pretty solid and but I, I think you know you talked to McCade Matoya about it. He was in this. He's he was here last year. He saw it last year. Troy Everett spending most of the week as the second team center, and then he moves into guard on a game day, and he's perfectly capable of playing both spots. But there is a difference, I think, of being in this mm-hmm. offense, especially the way it moves and and all that in game communication. So we'll see who they might go with to to get the start. I'd imagine they rotate both in, but that's now a fluid part of this line that going into last week we we felt pretty good about.
1: I would say this, and we'll never know the answer. The coaches aren't going to tell us, and we aren't there to watch it as media members, but the answer to that question truly lies in practice this week to me. This is when, you know, if you don't have a good week of practice out of those two guys especially, but your entire offensive line, you start to have worries. And I would imagine with the, uh, with, you know, the amount of leadership that there is, I think vo- both vocal leadership and leadership by example, on that line, it's just been spotty, right? Like, I it it feels like it comes and goes. It feels like it ebbs and flows, and they should be more consistently dominant up front. And I think, you know, with some of those veteran guys, with some of those really sharp guys that they have on that offensive line group, they've got to be able to figure this out. And I would imagine this is kind of the come-to-Jesus week for them.
0: I think so, and, you know, Jeff Levy said it himself. Like, they had some good drives. It wasn't all bad against SMU. I think those would have been the drives – I think to that one where, where Tali Walker came in, I think he had 59 yards on that, drive. Yeah, something like that, that that scoring drive when they got their second score. That was a good you know, example of a good drive. It's not all bad. And I think if we were hearing it as willingly from Walter Rouse, McCabe Matoya this week in terms of their feelings about it and what they had to be better with, those conversations are certainly being had probably more forcefully in that room. You know, we always hear Phil will be most pretty straight into the point. I got to imagine if he had a tape full of poor technique and, and sloppiness, he let them know about it. On the other side of the line, defensive line, it's kind of been a story the first two weeks. I think in some ways difficult to evaluate because if you ask Brent Venables or Ted Roof, they'll tell you they've faced two offenses that have you know, gone max protection, um, not really given them much. They've rushed for, you know, SMU was a game where they did need to kind of protect downfield. They dropped guys in coverage, and, and they gave up some big plays, but They created a bit more pressure. And fact is, though, the sack totals are not, you know, it's not like last year when through three games a year ago, they had 13 sacks. They're at two through two games. You worried? Do you buy just kind of the idea of how they've kind of had to attack each game or a little bit of both?
1: I think a lot of it has been matchups. And quite frankly, I think you're going to see a lot of the same this Saturday. Like I don't think Tulsa is just going to protect with five and, run seven step drop, right. And plan let's, to see protect the quarterback.
0: Ford, Bothroy, let's see what you can do. I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think they're going to open up that way.
1: Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen this week either. I would say to me, what's the big positive right now for the defensive line is who's your Walter camp defensive player of the week this week in college football. It's Danny Stutzman, right? And if a defensive line is truly doing their jobs, it's not always about sack numbers. That's obviously important. But it's also about quarterback hurries, which they've had a few of, and it's about keeping guys off linebackers, right? Yeah. And Danny Stutzman, other linebackers have been running to the ball and making plays, and I think that's a big part of why.
0: I'm with you, and the fact is, like, if that's the nitpick in a defense that started really, really well, the linebackers have been good, the secondary has been strong, and they have gotten pressure. Like they're creating things, they're getting good performances. If you just look at the box score, yes, you'll see that that the pressures and the hurries are not, and the sacks are not where someone might want, but they look at this in a much deeper way. And I think you're right. A, those things will come. They'll play teams that are going to open themselves up a bit more. You know, Todd, you and I are soccer guys. When a a team parks the bus, you're not going to see Man City look like Man City. When another team comes at them and opens up, that's when they get to do their thing. I think we might not see it, you know, at least until Cincinnati, because I I think you're right. Tulsa is going to operate in a similar way. They may not get those chances, but I, I think it's there. And this sort of takes us into the broader discussion of just the defense on the whole. They have shown improvement and they there are signs that this is bigger than what it was a year ago, which was a, a complete, you know, red herring. Those first three weeks, they looked great on defense. They went to Lincoln and throttled Nebraska. So you want to be careful about getting ahead of it. Even uh, interestingly, a guy who wasn't on the team last year, Peyton Bowen, made that point after SMU, you know, we were three and a year ago. We know how quickly this can slip, but the defense looks better. And, and that's come in part with this defensive line playing, I think, in, in ways that Brent Venables and Ted Roof are happy, but that a lot of folks in the, in the stands at Owen Field have been frustrated by.
1: Well, and I don't think it's any coincidence either, you know, aside from the one touchdown drive for SMU late in the game, they played well, too, which I think that also shows you the depth that there is at that position this year, as opposed to last season. It's completely there. And it's,
0: you know, i had this in a story this week. at selloutcrowd.com on the defense separating, you know, fact from fiction. What makes this year different than, than last September? One of them's the depth. They played 42 guys on defense yeah. against Arkansas State. And they never, they didn't play more than 32 in a single game last fall.
1: They that literally never, could not have played 42 guys. Like you it, and I would have had to have gotten out there.
0: I would have liked to have seen that. And the <laughs> success rate might have only differed so much at, at certain times. They dropped that number to 26 against SMU, and so that, and that was around their average from a year ago. But it's just the guys they have. I mean, Kip Lewis, right. electric at the end of that game, and that, allowed, that was when they – he replaced Danny Stutzman at points. Danny Stutzman was having one of the finest games I've seen him play for the Sooners, uh, a tackle shy of a career high, and Kip Lewis was in there late in the game and making plays. They did not have a fourth linebacker a year ago. It was Deshaun White, David Guaybu and Danny Studsman, the only three guys in the roster who played over 900 defensive snaps. And it showed. How many times last year did you see them fade late? The fact that they've got that depth there, that they've got someone like Peyton Bowen, who we're going to get to more on in a bit, in that secondary. They have guys who not only are capable of playing this defense, but within that depth, they can spell other guys and keep this defense fresh. And we saw it in that fourth quarter. I think when Brett Venable says, I don't know if we would have won that game a year ago, That's a big part of it because the defense that that held up while the offense did its job in the fourth quarter, that was huge. And a year ago, they just would not have been that stout late in the game. There's no way.
1: Well, I mean, they would have lost it because it would have been a close game. And they lost every close game a year ago. So I think that question kind of answers itself, right?
0: You're exactly right. You hit on the running backs before. Would you expect it two weeks in? I guess maybe when we were sitting here talking about Tommy Walker, the starter week one, you could have, but... The fact is, through two games, statistically, there's no question about who the best running back has been at OU, and it kind of presents some interesting questions. I think they're planning to get everyone more involved this week. Sounds like Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk, if there have been injury concerns, are in better shape. But Ty Walker right now is the standard bearer. Can that continue?
1: It's kind of that, uh, It's a. I mean, it's obviously a different scenario, but it's kind of the Gunny situ- Gundar, Gunner Gundy situation, right? Which is you know, going into the season, you think, oh, surely this, you know, this is just because his dad's the coach or this is just because he had a good off season in Tawi Walker's case. Mm-hmm. Surely this is just to get someone's attention. You know, Gunner Gunnar Gundy's just playing to make it look like it's a three quarterback race. And then he comes out and does well. And you're like, well, you can't take playing time away from him now. And two games in when it's that obvious not only can you not take time away from them at this point, I think you've got to start deciding, is this your number one guy, right? Is this your go-to back when you need to score a touchdown late in the ball game that you're going to have out there handing the ball to? So I I think this is kind of you know where the rubber meets the road, and Oklahoma's got to make some decisions on where those carries are going to go because after this week, I don't see games where there are not a lot of games on the schedule where they're going to be able to play four guys and give them equal number carries. It's always good to have depth because inevitably a running back's going to get hurt, right? Whether it's for a quarter or for two or three weeks, that's going to happen. But you've got to decide who your bell cow is, and right now there's no reason to think it shouldn't be Tali Walker.
0: Which is pretty hard to believe. If if we'd had this conversation last month, I would have called you crazy. I think the depth point's important because so many people are going to focus on who starts and who has the most carries against Tulsa in week three. Point is to get to December and to get to where this team wants to go, which is a big 12 title game, you need at least four backs. And I'll give them credit. I was really doubt, I doubted their depth at running back all spring, all summer, they didn't really add in the portal. And I just thought that going with two sophomore running backs, Marcus major, who's never been able to stay on the field and, and have a productive full season at OU and walk on Tawi Walker. I didn't think that was enough because I thought you were gonna lean too hard on two second year backs lean too hard on Marcus Major and really have nothing else to go for it. Right now, the depth is there because Tawi Walker has shown up because Marcus Major was making plays in the passing game last week. And uh, I think every OU fan, and some more than others, you know, some really feel like they need to be out there starting. But the Gavin Sachuk and Javante Barnes will come good. So that's, I think, the good news if you're an OU fan, no matter what. If, if you're worried about who's starting the game, that's a separate issue. They seem to have four running backs they like, and that's, that is what will get them will help get them where they want to go at the end of the season but right now until marcus major is more productive out of the backfield and, and same for for the two second year running backs who combined for three carries last week we can talk we, we can talk about where they'll be in november right now Tawi walker's the guy I and mean, here's the stats from the other night 21 carries for 117 yards for Tawi walker the rest of the ou running backs 15 for 56. There's just no the, – the running game was it was stuck in the mud until Tywee took mm-hmm. over. Right. And so I'll be curious to see what they do this week. I think it's going to be a, a good chance, even if it's not indicative of what they'll do against Cincinnati, to get Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuck kind of up to game speed because they haven't really featured all that much. I mean, Barnes led led them in carries in week one, hardly ran last week, and Sawchuck, we've we've seen very little of. They do need to get going and get those guys going. So I think we'll see that. And you could get, you glean that from what Jeff Levy had to say this week. But right now, I think it's Tawi's backfield, which uh, is hard to believe. Would have been to Barry Trammell Crazy. yesterday uh, asked Brent Venables, is it possible that your best running back is walk on Tawi Walker? And there was no objection. So uh, we're going to find out.
1: Well, and I would just say with Tawi Walker, like this is an interesting case study on what you are as a fan or what you are as just an observer, because I think there are two ways to look at it. And one is there's going to be a fan out there that's going to say, Oh God, if Towie Walker, the walk-on is our running back, then obviously the running back room's got issues. And then there's going to be a fan that goes good for Towie Walker. Maybe Oklahoma found a diamond in the rough, right? And it only makes the running back room better. So I think it's just kind of a case by case basis on how people feel about it. But from my perspective, we said this before the season started, He's got the opportunity to make the best out of it, and he's done that and some.
0: Well, you're right. There are folks who will say, why are our two four-star sophomores who were really promising a year ago not playing? Surely there's a reason. Surely they're not
1: mm-hmm.
0: wanting to keep a, a lid on those guys if, if they've got – you know, if either one of them was going to be a 100-yard rusher the last two weeks, they would have been playing. fact is they weren't. And, and you know, Tawi Walker is bringing something they don't have. He's hard to take down. He's like a little bowling ball. And they need that. And again, ideally, they'll have that and they'll have Javante Barnes doing what he does well and Gavin Sawdchuk doing what he does well and same for Marcus Major. But right now, and it's just been two games and it's almost, you look at the numbers from the Arkansas State game, especially with the run game, and you don't even really want to make any judgments off of it. But if that's the case, then you look at SMU and and far and away, there's one guy who was productive out of the backfield. uh, And it wasn't either of the four-star sophomores and it wasn't Marcus Major.
1: I will just say real quickly, it will be interesting because I think Tawi, the way he runs, makes up for some of the offensive line deficiencies. And I think if the offensive line blocks up the run game better, Barnes and Sawchuck are going to give you more explosiveness. So, you know, if I think maybe as the offensive line plays better, it will unlock some of those guys as well. And maybe Tawi will fall into a role of being a guy that you can bring in, always rely on, but also some short yardage roles as well
0: so jumping in to an injury report for this week that'll kind of segue us into some talk about the two big freshmen gentry williams expected to play kind of got banged up last week returned in limited action uh he's going to be a captain in tulsa which i think is a pretty dang cool thing His hometown t grad him and garen emig a couple of hornets cutting it up and uh but, but the cheetah spot is a place to watch because justin harrington was was Injured in that game. He played through it, but had a wrap on his knee. Brent Venable said he's still banged up yesterday. Dasan McCullough dressed, didn't warm up, didn't play. He's got that ankle injury. Sounds like Dasan, they're kind of hopeful, will be back. Justin Harrington, if you kind of follow what they did with Dasan last week, you might say if it's even close, they're just not going to play him Mm because it's early in the season for that. But where that intrigues me is what that could set up for Peyton Bowen, who I think you're never not going to be talking about five-star freshmen when they're playing as often as he is, but he's genuinely impressed. Uh, he he looks nothing like a freshman off the bat. And I think Saturday there's a good chance you'll see him getting even more snaps at the Cheetah spot. He's played all over the secondary. He's made plays everywhere, special teams at the block punt last week, did a pass breakup. He did have that pass interference in the red zone, but he, he more than made up for it in his performance.
1: Well, that's just because the Big 12 hates OU. Well,
0: right. That's what I got texted to me by several friends uh, Saturday night, uh, who I then told, I'd actually seen Brett Yormark exchanging cash uh, straight up with the refs pregame. It's unbelievable love how that. big it is, right? Love the that. The big 12 refs have for OU football. Goodness. I can't stand referee talk. Can't stand
1: it. But, no, me neither. Peyton but to, you, to your Peyton Bowen point, though, he's been amazing. Like I love what Ted Roof said about him, which is, He's just – and I'm paraphrasing. I don't know that I have the exact quote in front of me. He's just a guy that gets football. Like it just comes easy to him. You just put him out there and he likes making plays and he knows how to do it, right? And those type of guys that you just can't coach are so important. If they're going to come in and play immediately in a Brent Venable system, it's tough enough to play a position. We're talking about a guy who's been all around the secondary now who – I think we'll probably see on Saturday, just kind of from talking to people and you would know better than I, I think we're going to see him play that cheetah position. So another position you can add to the list that you're going to see him out there getting a decent amount of snaps. And look, if he if he can do those things, we're talking about a guy who is going to be very vital. If There's one thing that Brent Venables loves, and this, I mean, Isaiah Simmons is the number one example of it. He loves a guy that can be someone that you move and can do multiple things for you defensively. Right, I mean, it's such a big thing on offensive football. If you've got players out there and you don't have to sub and you can run three receivers and two backs or empty backfield with those same players, that's hard to scheme up defensively. It's the same defensively. If you can have a guy out there that you can move in and help you in run protection, but you can also trust that he can one-on-one defend somebody in the secondary, I mean, that's priceless. So I think Peyton Bowen is the exact prototype of the type of player that Brent Venables wants in that secondary. And that's that's why, you know, going back to when he flipped and decided he was going to come to Oklahoma, that's why that was such a big deal. And I think that was a big deal within that staff because they kind of knew that he might be that guy. I didn't expect to see it this early. I'll I'll say that right from the jump. And it's obviously going to get tougher in conference play, but so far, so good for him.
0: Your your movie guy Todd?
1: I uh, you know, yes and no
0: everything everywhere everything everywhere all at once.
1: I haven't seen that one yet. Well, but that is that is it. his experience at OU so far, isn't it?
0: Well, that's what I think that's what Isaiah Simmons was, that's what the ideal cheetah yeah. does for in this defense and whether it'll be Peyton Bowen this weekend or this season or long-term at Cheetah or any of the other safety spots, he can be that guy. He can be everything everywhere all at once for this defense and that's why He's already been important. That's why he'll be certainly important if you want to project down the next few years. But that Ted Roof quote, I do have the exact quote in front of me. Seasoned journalist here. Eh, What a guy. Not so much. But we've learned that football really makes sense to him. And it's like a simple sentence, but it encapsulates the whole thing. He just kind of gets the game. And and he talked to us in fall camp about playing in five different positions in, in, in practices. You'd think a kid's head would be spinning. He's 18, maybe 19, freshman. He was here in the spring, but it's, it's early for him. He's doing it all, and it's helping him in every different spot. He kind of explained that, that the more he's played everywhere else, when he's in, let's say he's playing free safety on a given play, he knows what everyone else is supposed to be doing because he's playing right. those spots. He's
1: kind well, of- and let's, yeah, and that's not only good because he knows where to be, but he can literally tell somebody what to do. I mean, that's important in situations, especially like last week where SMU is trying to get snaps quick at times. Yep.
0: And he's been on campus nine months. And so uh, here, here's, here are the numbers. He's got the 10 most snaps of any OU defender through two games. In coverage, three catches for 19 yards on four targets. He's played 15 snaps in the box, kind of in that cheetah role, 34 at, th- at free safety and 14 in the slot. He really has been all over. They're, they're getting good use out of him. And I, I think he's going to be big this weekend, especially if Justin Harrington's not playing. Uh, and he's going to be important for them moving forward, which – Again, I think we had high expectations, but not not quite, uh, quite like this so fast for him.
1: Right, he's been
0: great. Another Denton Guyer kid, Jackson Arnold. We probably saw more of him Saturday than many of us would have expected in uh, against SMU, and I think we're going to see more of him going forward than maybe we would have expected in that short yardage package.
1: I agree. I mean, I, I think basically what Jackson Arnold is doing is is a lot of the same stuff that Jeff Levy schemed up last year with Braden Willis, right? Back there in that Wildcat look. I think it's a lot of those same types of things. Just now you have a guy who can raise up and throw a pass. And, you know, if that happens, you're looking at uh, maybe hitting somebody for a big play. It that wrinkle's always gonna be there. It'll be interesting to see when they use it. And I mean, let's be honest, it does two things for you. Number one, it gives you a little power run game out of a shotgun, which you don't have handing the ball off horizontally to a running back. Right. I mean, you've got somebody running downhill. Now he's got blockers in front of him. It's harder to have that short yardage run game out of a shotgun, which Oklahoma is way more comfortable in number two. It takes out any opportunity to get Dylan Gabriel hurt on a short yardage type play. Right. I mean, so I think both of those things are going to get him more playing time. Um, And I, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Like I, I I think it's perfectly normal to have that type of package put in. The only thing you worry about is is if Jackson Arnold gets hurt, you don't have a backup. But hell Eli, if Jackson Arnold and Dylan Gabriel both get hurt, let's be honest, not very many teams could lose their first two quarterbacks and have a successful season anyway, right? At that point, you're kind of snake bit. So I love it. I I I think we'll see more of it as the season goes on. It will be interesting though to watch like what kind of wrinkles there are especially when the ball's in the middle of the field on short yardages and if they get really good at it we've seen this at all levels of football if you can make a 4th and 1 and feel like it's a 90 95% opportunity you'll go for 4th and 1 at your own 40 or at your own 35 right and that and that helps you offensively keep drives drives alive and I think that's the type of guy that you know in that in that uh formation you could do that with a lot
0: you remember uh, Red River last year? OU Texas. Yep. That's what it looks like when Dylan Gabriel and Jackson Arnold are not playing. That's what it'll look like.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, that's true. So to that
0: point, but you're you're right. I mean, Brandon I
1: remember the first half, Eli. I literally went outside and just started eating fair food in the second half. <laughs> I'm dead serious, and I had a press pass. Probably Maybe shouldn't have been that. Did that. Sure. I
0: don't care how the game's going. Let's just go eat fair food at halftime.
1: Do you want to hear a real quick good OU Texas story? Yeah. I think we might be. I I think I've told this on the radio before, so I think I can do it. One year I was working as a producer on a radio show that Barry Trammell was on, our colleague, and uh, I was looking for OU Texas tickets. And Barry called me day a game, and he goes, "Hey, meet me over by this gate." And I thought, "Oh, maybe he got a good deal on some tickets." I told him about what I wanted to spend. They were really expensive, so I go over, and he goes, "Don't say a word about this. Uh, Just get in. You can go sit sit wherever you can sit." And he gave me a press pass that may or may not have had a name of one of our other colleagues on it. Wowza! That so I is- thought about like making my name Benny Carlson or you know Denny Carlson, but you know,
0: man, I hope the folks whoever runs credentialing, I get, I hope I know we're in trouble now.
1: Need- that you really didn't really happen. I made that. Barry I, I made that whole thing up. I made that whole thing up.
0: That's quite a tag. I got Barry Trammell banned from. Uh, from from Red River and from the college. No,
1: I would never do that.
0: Mm, I don't know. Garen and I were talking on the, the last episode here about how quickly they'd cancel the show. This might do it. Really uh cool. well, I mean be a good run while it lasted.
1: I'm sorry if that happens.
0: Well, back to Jackson Arnold. I think
1: I think we're good. I think we're good on that. I think one. we're
0: safe. Statute of limitations yeah, on that's got I
1: mean it was lit- I mean, ser- seriously, it might have been 03. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we're good. If we can tell the story of Mike Leach leaving the play sheet on the field, we can tell that story, right? So, I think so. Okay, good. He would never do that now, for the record. Just closing out on
0: him, I think you said it does two things for them right now, and I think it does. There's another sense of looking at it that way. It gives them a short yardage quarterback and someone they feel good running the ball. It's also given the guy who we all know is going to be the guy moving forward beyond this season, a quarterback – opportunities to get hit early opportunities to be out there to be calling plays and pressure situations I think that's really important and I've got these quotes in front of me I'm, I'm working on something on Jackson right now of what Brent Venables and Jeff Levy have said about kind of, they've got a plan for him they're not just throwing him out there right. and they've got a plan for him that's you know multi-year where they see this going in the future they see him as the future of this program and this is part of step one And, and I think that it can't be understated if he's going to be running these plays in big 12 games and big environments, big situations, what, what that will do for him in moving him along by the time he is the starting quarterback, I will say they had, they, they hit pretty well on, on the success rate with these short yardage situations, that fourth and one in the red zone, you said before, maybe they don't, maybe the reality is they don't have someone they feel good about like a year ago to hand it off to Eric Gray or Braden Willis would've been great in one of those moments. I do wonder, did they get too cute? Surely they've got other plays with Dylan Gabriel under center to, to run a misdirection, you know, get a guy open or, or hand the ball off. Uh, that that raised my eyebrows and that was a big moment. If they could have scored there, yep. that game turns earlier than it did. But on the whole, I, I think it gives OU a new dimension in the run game on short yardage, and it gives them a chance. If, Dylan Gabriel is going to be the starting quarterback, but to get Jackson Arnold out there, I think that's huge.
1: You guys have talked to Jackson Arnold, haven't you? Yeah, we have. Okay, and and no, I would imagine that I would began. But we have. I would imagine that you probably got this feeling, and you probably get it from being around the program. Not only do they have a plan for him, but it seems like he's in on the plan, like he has bought in on it, right? He's Which I think him. is an important part, and that goes all the way back to his recruitment. Yep. How early he bought in on Oklahoma and stayed with them throughout some of the tough times last season. He's
0: known this was the place he wanted to be for a very long time. He knew he wanted to be with Jeff Levy, uh, yep. and, and he's known the role he was stepping into. I was sitting with him the week before signing day last year in Denton Geyer, and he was just so excited to get there, to start learning the system, to sit behind Dylan Gabriel, to learn from him. So this is all according to plan, uh, both for him and for the program. So I, I think early encouraging signs, and uh, I think we're going to see more of it, and that's going to be fun. Uh, you mentioned him, you know, maybe breaking out a pass in one of those situations. That sounds fun to me. And yeah, that I mean, even sure. that to me sounds – the misdirection of that, bring him in, have him stand over the center, and then send somebody out and, and go for a big play on a fourth down. That to me is is what that looks like in a perfect situation.
1: It will surprise the defender, the de- the defense, so much so it will remind you of like, you know, uh, Matt McCoy to Chris Chester at Faroe Field back in the day. Love it.
0: Oh, well, come on.
1: <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I, I had like to bust this. out a Missouri yeah. reference. I'm sorry. Yeah,
0: take a second. All right, we're going to f- close out here with a little bit of Big 12, college football talk, and then a the game of Liz in, Liz out. Couldn't let you out okay. here without one. But we'll go quick. You put out a, a great stat on the Big 12 last weekend about Baylor and Tech. Let's hear it.
1: So... Only one other time in conference history have multiple teams started the regular season 0-2 in the Big 12. That was the first year of the conference in 1996. Unfortunately for Oklahoma fans, you were one of those teams that started 0-2 that year. Uh, but the best finish ever for any team that started 0-2 was Texas A&M, who went 6-6 and that year. They played in the kickoff Classic, so they got the extra 12th game. But no team has ever made a bowl game, out of the Big 12 after starting 0-2 in the regular season. Now, in fairness to Texas Tech, no team's gone to Wyoming and then played a top 15 team at home in the next game either. So it's a little bit of a skewed stat, but still, I think there is worry for the Red Raiders. I I think I came out of that game a little bit more impressed with Oregon than I did upset with Texas Tech. Um, I think it's a little bit opposite with Utah, right? I was more unimpressed by Utah, and I guess more, you know, kind of on the same spot, I think, with Baylor. Um, I still think Texas Tech's going to get to a bowl game, but it's an interesting spot they find themselves in right now.
0: I think if if I had to pick one of those teams, I would lean Tech. I mean, they've played two tough games. They played Oregon pretty well on the whole. I didn't get to see all that game, but they hung with them. So if I had to pick one of those teams to get to six wins, it would be Tech. Baylor just has the feel of a season that could – could go pretty fast here. Um they, it's not like they you know Texas State was one thing, but Utah coming to, to Waco, it's not an easy game. Both of them mm-hmm. schedule a difficult Pac 12 opponents and I think the Pac 12 might be as good a conference as any right now. I mean eight teams ranked in the top twenty-five this week. But I I, I would back tech to maybe make some progress there. Baylor, I don't know the quarterback situation. I, I don't know that the recruiting has really followed that Big 12 title a couple of years ago. So I've got my questions there. Is Texas back, Todd?
1: I mean, I, I'd have to say yes, right? I mean, it doesn't get much more back than winning at Alabama. It doesn't. Um, they, now, in true Texas form, I could totally see them losing a home game to Baylor or something. I don't even know if Baylor's on their schedule. But later in the year, I could see that happening. Or them going down to Houston and losing, right? Like, I could see one of those random things happening for them, but – I mean, the Longhorns deserve a ton of credit for what they did at Bryant-Denny Stadium. It wasn't even as close as what the final score said. They completely physically dominated that game, which, hand up, I was wrong on that one. My prediction for the game was that physically Texas couldn't hang, and they not only hung with Bama, they dominated the Tide.
0: They sucked the life out of that game, and they had the football for, what, the last seven, something, and they just ran it out, and that's where that shows up. That wasn't about the play calling Or the run game necessarily. That was about at the line of scrimmage who was winning. And Texas, on a night, was very different from a lot of nights under Nick Saban. And Tuscaloosa just got manhandled. I'll say this: that can't be the highlight, the high of Texas' Texas's season. That's where when we talk about is Texas back. We've seen them have big wins before. Maybe not none bigger than this. I'm not diminishing that, but. They've now got to go do it the rest of the way. Because if this is if the, the cu-
1: thing, if the culture changes, you win the games that you're supposed to win, and that's what Texas hasn't done over the last you know decade and a half.
0: I've said it. I'll say it. I guess until he gets to ten wins, no Sark-led team has uh, with, with him at the helm has gotten to beyond nine wins before. We'll see if they can do it. Todd, we're going to finish with Liz in or Liz out. I do have a question though. I heard you've got some variation of this game that you've stripped for your own podcast. That's what I've been told. I you. have, I um, have. I heard you got some game that, that's strikingly similar to uh, to Liz in or Liz out.
1: The only game I have is uh, oh yeah, I did ask John Ham the other day if he was Ham in or Ham out. Uh, but I did give you credit for coming up with the idea. And really, I think the game that people loved more with John Ham and I was named that random '90s NBA guy.
0: Love that contact.
1: John Koncak, Where can an SMU Mustang legend.
0: Go hear about John Koncak in the year 2023.
1: Uh, well, that's easy. You go to the Todd Pod on YouTube. You subscribe. You like. You, I think the kids say, smash the like button. You do all those things.
0: Wow. Well, you're off the hook. You can take Liz in, Liz out. And I don't know. No, I'll take it. Things, uh, not yet, at least, copyrighted and mired in intellectual property stuff.
1: Rapid fire, let's go. Let's
0: do it. Let's do it. Sooners by 26 at Tulsa. You Liz in or Liz out? Can they, oh. can they beat that spread?
1: I'm going to say Liz out only because I'm playing the numbers. OU's covered the first two games. I'm going to guess this is the one game they don't cover, but I still think they win very easily.
0: Jackson Arnold over five carries against Tulsa.
1: I'm going to say Liz in because I think he gets into the game in the second half and they feature him in the run game when he's out there as the full-time quarterback uh, replacing Dylan Gabriel.
0: I'm with you there. Broad strokes, this Sooners defense. Is it real? Liz in, Liz out on that.
1: Oh, God. I mean, I said Liz in after the Nebraska game last year, and that was, like you said earlier, the ultimate red herring. Um, I'm going to say Liz Liz in. I don't think it's a great defense yet, but I think it's much improved from last year. Um, I think it's going to lead to a better overall record this season, and there's certainly a lot more depth. So if they stay healthy, I'm Liz in on the defense right now.
0: Towie Walker to lead all the OU rushers in
1: week three. Liz in or Liz out? In yards or carries? Yards. Ooh, I'm going to say Liz out on this one. I think I think with some of the things we're hearing from the offensive line, I think this might be the first game where we see Oklahoma break off a big run or two, and I'm going to say that the guys breaking off those big runs are either Barnes or Sawchuck.
0: I like it. All right. Hold on, I'm getting caught up here. All right. Jim Harbaugh during Michigan's 35 to 7 win over UNLV. Nice. Solidarity. Free Harbaugh. Very nice. Self-imposed ban. Let's wear t-shirts for him. Uh he said he spent that game, he mowed the uh, that day, mowed the front lawn before the game, went to McDonald's with the kids at halftime, and then mowed the back lawn after the game and called it called it a productive day. You Liz in or Liz out on on just that afternoon that, that Jim Harbaugh had. Yeah.
1: I'm old. That sounds like a great afternoon to me. Um, I'd imagine I'd imagine he has a riding mower, and I would imagine he doesn't have to do the weed eating. he probably hires someone hey. for that. So he just rode around like Forrest Gump for a while, and if you get the right tunes going, then, yeah, I'm Liz in on that. I love turning on some old 90s rap and just hanging on the mower for a while.
0: He's probably got a great riding mower. He's probably also got a lot of real estate, I'd imagine, to mow. Yep. But to your point, I wonder who's, you know, what he's really, he might just be riding around on there. Uh, his, his
1: cup of milk and the cup yeah. holders got grass shavings all in it, and he just drinks it anyway.
0: All right. I asked you about Texas. Liz in or Liz out on them being your Big 12 champs after two weeks. This is exactly the time to be making bold, sweeping. Oh, games. yeah.
1: After two weeks and zero conference games, I am Liz in on Texas. Of course, I was before the season. So, um, you know, I didn't think Texas would go to Bama and win, but we talked before the season. I thought they were the team to beat in the Big 12. So, It's hard to not say that you're Liz in on Texas winning the Big 12 in this moment right now.
0: The Week 4 schedule across the country looks awesome in terms of good matchups. Week 3, not a single-ranked head-to-head game. So we're going to go here. Kansas State, minus 5 at Missouri. You Liz in or Liz out on the Wildcats there?
1: Please don't hate me, Eli, but... I had uh, John Kurtz, who's a K-State grad and has a YouTube channel on, and we were talking about that game. And I said, you know, Bill Snyder used to always schedule all these patsies. They play three easy games in non-conference, and I thought K-State got away from that. And now here they are playing Southeast Missouri, Troy, and Missouri. I'm Liz in on the Wildcats. I think they're underrated. I think they're going to win by a couple touchdowns this week.
0: I think they're great. I'll be – this will be – I've got a group chat, Todd, that I'm in, fellow Missouri grads who when I came out of that press conference uh, Saturday night after the SMU game, it ended right around when that Missouri game ended. If uh, if this one goes south, there's going to be a whole lot more energy against Eli Drinkwitz because there's yep. already plenty there. We'll see. All right, we're going to Tulsa this weekend, or at least I'm going to Tulsa this weekend. The Coney Islander, you Liz in, oh. Liz out.
1: It's my favorite place in the world. Come on. I could smash probably 10 Conies right now. Uh, I would pay for it later, and I would gladly pay for it later. They are the best. Coney Islander. My grandparents lived in Owasso, and we'd go up there as a kid, and that was like the stop on the way home. We'd go to Coney Islander, and because we always stopped and got it to go, I have this thing now. I can only. eat. I don't think I've ever ate inside at a Coney Islander. So like literally, there used to be. I don't know if it's still there. There used to be one kind of across from Chapman Stadium, and when I would cover like Jinx Union games, I'd go park there, go inside, get the three Conies, no onions. I'm out on onions. And then I'd walk outside and I would stand by my car and eat the conies, just because it felt more normal that way. So I'm all in on Coney Islander. Their tamales are underrated, too, if you ever get a chance to try them.
0: What a lovely, sweet little anecdote we uncovered there.
1: Coney Islander, if you want to be a sponsor of the Todd Pod, get in touch with the people at Sellout Crowd. Oh, we can, can make that happen.
0: There we go. All right, two, last two. OKC Arena plan that was released this week. Liz in or Liz out?
1: Uh, Liz political answer. I don't live in Oklahoma city, so it doesn't really matter. Um, That's what I'm going to say. Not to make anybody mad. I will just say this. um, There's no doubt that the city needs it. There's no doubt they have to have it to keep up, but also in comparison to how much the stadium costs, the 50 million that the team is going to pay. When you kind of look at other stadiums recently, it, it seems like a pretty low number. So, It's going to happen. I'm Liz in on getting a new arena. We can fight about all the details, but they need one.
0: I think two things are true and can be true at the same time. One, pro sports teams and the public subsidies they get to build their arenas. They they could be thrown in a whole lot more. Two, Oklahoma City cannot afford to lose its NBA team. Yeah. And that's the ultimate outcome here. And as you said, the details there, we can haggle over those until this thing's built. But as long as the Thunder are here – I think it's all worthwhile. Final one, UCO over Missouri Western this week. You'll be there on the oh. call. Where can people find you first? Where can people listen to you on Saturday?
1: Well, you can listen to that on KOKC. You can also watch it on the MIAA network. It's a subscription thing, but you can watch like I think it's like ten ninety nine or maybe nineteen ninety nine a month. But you can watch all UCO athletics all year: basketball, football, yeah. everything. Uh, for that, so um, yeah, or on KOKC radio which is AM 1520 in uh, Oklahoma City or on the iHeartRadio app, all that stuff. It's pretty simple. Uh, but I'm going to say, I'm, I mean, obviously I'm Liz in on the Broncos winning. UCO's big problem the last couple years under new head coach Adam Durrell last year and then the first two games this year is having a hard time winning on the road. They make a lot of mistakes on the road. This game is coming back home after another one of those bad losses on the road. So I think they get it done against the Griffins of Missouri Western, which, by the way, it's a great little tie in. Missouri Western University is where, uh, in St. Joseph, is where the Kansas City Chiefs have their training camp. And in the, I think it's the north end zone of Missouri Western's field, is the Bill Snyder Family Pavilion. And I'm pretty sure Bill Snyder was either a grad there or maybe his daughter was or something, but there's a giant pavilion there named after longtime Kansas State coach Bill Snyder.
0: Learn something new every day. The more, more you know, Todd. Well, and you'll be back. I hope. Let's hope. I'll bring you back. You'll come back if
1: Barry Trammell doesn't kill me first.
0: Hey, I—I I don't know. You—you you divulged something there <laughs> that I—I I would not have admitted readily myself. But that is going to do it on the sixth episode, of Letterman Jacket Pod. You can find us as always: YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Todd, we'll be back sooner's old do their thing this weekend and you'll be able to have all of our coverage at selloutcrowd.com and uh, we'll be back with more episodes next week